Hello, friends, and welcome to HC Weekly. This is a podcast proclaiming the love of God on display through Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're with us, and I need to tell you, we've been expecting you. We encourage you to tune in for an important announcement at the end. And now it's time for today's message. We hope you enjoy. I want to talk to you this morning about resurrection applied. And I want to deal with this not merely because it's Easter, but because it's much more than just a way to help us win arguments about which faith is, is real. Uh, it's not, resurrection is not to win an apologetic debate. Jesus didn't raise from the dead just simply so we could say, hey, we beat out the professor. Hey, we, we put the atheist in his place. Hey, we put, that's not what Jesus raised from the dead. Okay? And, and I want us to think well beyond that. So today, you might be aware that there's going to be many messages spoken on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of them. And it's a beautiful truth and a fact that's, that's worth mention by far and worth meditation. It's worth all that, right? Resurrection is a wonderful, mind-blowing reality that sadly too often is only given a sentimental or nostalgic observation. So I hope to offer you a spiritual and practical application for it here this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is not meant to make us sentimental or take us down nostalgic memories about something that happened long ago. It's meant to be spiritually and practically applicable in the here and now of your life. The resurrection of Christ is an important truth that's useful for your life 365 days a year. Not just Easter Sundays. It's bigger than that. Now, I remember in school years ago that when it came time to study algebra, I wondered what possible purpose it could serve. What benefit was there to algebra? I couldn't see any real practical application for it. And so I didn't think it was really worth my time. You know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fractions, I get that. I got it. I could see the usefulness of those things. But algebra? Just tell me it exists and let's get on with it. I got better things to do with my time, right? Now, as a human being, when you don't think something has any practical use in your life, basically what happens in the here and now, if you don't think it works for you right now, usually it gets passed over till an appointed time, making it necessary to mention it again. And it's not going to merit a lot of your thought. It's not going to gather in a lot of your attention. Your perspective says it's not of any importance in the right now of life. You know, when I didn't see any value to algebra, I really didn't study it. And sadly, this happens to the topic of the resurrection of Jesus. It gets put on the back shelf till a certain holiday comes around again. It's seen as an evangelistic tool or an apologetics tool or a comforting tool in time of a loved one passing on. Or, or, but other than that, really, many Christians do not realize the powerful potential the truth of resurrection packs for their daily life. The amount of 
of impartation there is in understanding it more fully. Often it's passed over. I want you to just think about this for a second. Do you really? I mean, do you really think Paul wrote Romans 6, 1 through 6 because it was Passover and traditionally time to talk about Jesus rising from the dead? Do you really think that? Come on, Paul. It's Easter. Give us a good resurrection message. Now, I know that seems a little trite and a little ridiculous, but if you think about it, and you think about how this topic is approached, and when it is approached, one could imagine that it must have been Easter when Paul wrote Romans 6. So let's take a moment to look at what Paul said in those passages of Scripture, shall we? In Romans 6, beginning in verse 1, I put it up here because of the translation I'm using. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. There's two, two areas where many Christians are, are um, just not profited adequately because the time's not given to it. And that's understanding what baptism is about. When all you see is it's something merely symbolic and you don't understand the spiritual nature of baptism. Okay? You miss out on what Paul's talking about here. Baptism's more than symbolic. It basically, it's the spiritual transfer where in, imparted to you and I is this edict that we are no longer slaves to something we were once slaves to. But rather, we are now set free. What it's saying, it's saying to the law, the spiritual law of God. Baptism is saying to the spiritual law of God. You're no longer able to condemn this one. Because as you come up out of the water, the law is being testified to that you now have the life of Jesus and the law is fulfilled. Baptism's more than just something symbolic that we do that we say, oh, we're going to follow Jesus now. There's something testified to in the heavenlies. That's why it matters. The early church required it. If you claimed to be a believer and you hadn't been water baptized, you were expected to get water baptized right away. Otherwise, the church did not acknowledge you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And the other baptism they were looking for was the Spirit. Because the Spirit is how we identify one another as belonging. 
These things do matter for reasons other than sentimentality and nostalgia. Now, Paul, in the chapter before what we just read in Romans 6, he talks of where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And now he's saying, don't let yourself imagine that means you should go out and sin more to get more grace. Sinning more will not give birth to a greater revelation of the grace of God. What Paul does then is he turns your attention to the fact of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But he doesn't just turn your attention to that. He turns your attention to the fact of that and the fact that when Christ died, if you've come to him in faith, you died. And when Christ rose, you rose. Now, I want to use an illustration I learned from Neil Silverberg. If I take this piece of paper that's in my Bible, out of my Bible, and I lay it here on the podium, where is this piece of paper? Where's my Bible? In my hand up in the air. If I take this piece of paper and drop it on the floor, where's the paper? Where's the Bible? Now, if I take this piece of paper, and this piece of paper is placed in my Bible, where is the paper? Where is it now? Where is it now? Wherever the Bible goes, whatever the Bible is doing, the paper is identified with it. The paper has been caught up in the history of the Bible. The paper is now identified with the Bible. Are you getting it? You have come by faith to Christ Jesus and you have been put in Christ. And Christ lives in you. His story, his story has become your story. His story is not being rewritten to accommodate your story apart from him. Your story, as far as heaven is concerned, has been rewritten to accommodate his story. You've been swallowed up into who he is and what he has done. And so when it says that when he died, you died with him, that's not figurative language. As far as heaven is concerned, that happened. And when it says when he rose from the dead, you rose with him, that is not figurative language. As far as heaven is concerned, you were raised from the dead in the newness of life that is the life of Christ in you. You are not who you used to be. See, you've become a participant in everything that Jesus is doing. You become part of his story. 
That's what Paul's saying here in Romans. And now that we've come to Jesus, we've been born again, we've been placed in Christ, Christ is living in us. This means we're participants with him in his story. All that he's up to right now, we're with him in it. Our baptism is an indication that we are identified with his death and his resurrection And we're declaring that sin no longer has power over us now that we are alive in him. Power of sin was broken. If you're you're thinking in any way that you are either genetically, traditionally, genealogically tied to some brokenness, some sin, you are thinking contrary to the truth of Scripture's testimony about you. Because everything that thought it had a tie to you, everything that thought it had a legal right, an authoritative access to who you are, that was broken. It was taken away in Christ Jesus. You're no longer slaves to sin. And if you're no longer slaves to sin, then the effects that sin brings with it The consequences are not yours. Unless you're of the mindset that Paul was coming against, that we should sin all the more so that grace can abound all the more. We'll prove God's grace by becoming radical sinners and saying that he he just loves us despite ourselves. Oh, yeah, he loves you. He loved you while you were still sinners. But that did not necessarily mean that you were in right standing with him as a sinner. You only come into right standing when you're born again. See, when you're born naturally, you're born in Adam. First Adam. You're born into sin. That's how you're born. And you're in that condition from the start of your first breath outside the womb Until you should come to faith in Christ Jesus. Because see, it is not about how good you can be. It is not about how nice you can be, how kind you can be, how how compassionate you can be, how generous you can be, how all of that you can be. That will never make you right in the sight of God. Even if you could keep the law. You would still not be right in the sight of God because the sacrificial system has been taken away. And you would not have a sacrificial system to atone for you even as a keeper of the law. You would be without hope regardless of how good you think you are. Because you were born a certain way. And the only time that changes... It's when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you are born again. You are born into him. That's when everything changes. When you are baptized into his death and raised into the newness of his life, that's when it all changes. So you were born into Adam But now you've been born again into Jesus. And only through that means is anyone ever right in the sight of God. There is no other means. That's why the scripture says that there is no other name given under heaven or in earth whereby a man might be saved. 
Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Dalai Lama can't save you. The Shintoists can't save you. Ancestral worship won't save you. Judaism will not save you. You could go through everything you know to do to try to become Jewish and you'll still be just as lost as the worst sinner in the world. Jewishness does not save anyone. Jesus saves. And we have to get back to the kind of gospel that makes that so abundantly clear that all this homogenization of mixture, there is so much spiritual adultery occurring because we have left off these understandings and revelations. You know what spiritual adultery is? Spiritual adultery is trying to be married to the law and Jesus at the same time. You cannot be married to the law and Jesus. That, that is adultery. Romans 7. I'm going to do an entire message on that soon. That unpacks it so clearly for us, it'll be hard to get away from it. But see, Christ died to set you free. Not partially set you free and partially keep you in bondage. Kick out the mixture. We're no longer slaves. If we treat the resurrection like it is algebra, we ignore the revelation that empowers us to live out of our new identity in Jesus. God wants you to live out of your new identity. In fact, this is such an important revelation. Paul declared it to several churches in his time when he was writing to them. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Check out what he says there. He says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You could not take credit for your natural birth, and you don't take credit for your new birth. It is all Jesus in the new birth, and it's all Adam in the first birth. If there's no resurrection, there is no life. There is nothing that brings an end to what Adam did. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then Adam is still in rule over the humanity of earth. Your nature is still in Adam if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And you are to be pitied as a result. If that's true, Jesus did not complete the mission. 
But see, there was a resurrection, and you and I were included in it. <laughs> a powerful resurrection, the power of God and manifest demonstration. You were included in that. That's why we possess his life in us. See, resurrection also takes us to the next level where we're positionally established. You'll, you'll notice in that, he doesn't just end with resurrection. He says, you've now been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We're seated with Jesus just as we had died with him and were raised with him. Now we're seated in a place where the enemy is no longer welcomed. I want you to understand that. There are no modern day Job's. It's not possible. It's not. The accuser is not allowed access to the throne. He was kicked out. During Job's time, he was able to go in and out and come to and fro and, and raise a complaint and all that stuff to God about people on the earth. But if you read your Bible, you will discover he was kicked out. Amen. And he can't go in anymore. The accuser of the brethren was kicked out. You are not Job. The devil is not going up to God and saying, what about this one and what about that one? And he can't do that anymore. Amen. It's taken away in Jesus. Amen. Now that doesn't mean he's not trying to do as much with that as he can here on this earth. And trying to affect your thought life and other people's thought life. Trying to convince people that he has more authority and more power and more weight than he really even has. You have authority over his lives if you're equipped in the truth. And believing the right thing. There's no more Joes for this reason. He was kicked out. That accuser's kicked out. And this is yours by faith alone in Christ alone. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what you can do. Nothing to do with what you can do. It's entirely yours based on what Jesus did. You're like a piece of paper being placed in a Bible. Just like you saw me do up here. It's the same as that. It is not based on what you perform. It's that you've been placed somewhere. You've been positioned somewhere. And I really hope you're getting this download because it will liberate your soul so powerfully if you do. What I'm preaching this morning is liberty through resurrection. Resurrection applied brings liberty to your spirit and your soul. And your, your spirit, man, if you're truly born again, you're a product of the Holy Spirit's work. Your spirit, man, is leaping inside right about now. He can recognize what I'm telling you in this morning's message. Now, listen to what it says to us in Colossians 2, 11 through 15. Paul says something there as we draw near to the end here. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11. When you came to Christ... You were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, 
What did he do? He took that that Adam thing out of the equation. Adam's gone from your equation now. It's cut away. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If you can get this revelation, you know you're already in the place of victory. You're already there. And you can just stop now comparing yourself with yourself because that is, that's just an exercise of insanity. I don't know if I measured up yesterday. Forget that nonsense because that's what it is. Start saying, I am so glad I am in Christ and Christ is in me and that the Father is looking at me from that perspective. I thank you for the mercy that has already been applied to me. You don't even have to be like David and say, I need a new mercy today, God. It's already applied. The Bible is not lying when it says you have already received everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. It's not a cosmic carrot on the end of a stick attached to a string trying to get you to go somewhere you otherwise would not go. It's the truth. God is not lying to you and me. When the Bible says these things about us, it's the truth. And the church has been so far removed from that because we want people to do what we want them to do. And so sometimes we resort to trying to fear you in the motive. We try to, try to you know, shame you in the motive or condemn you. In, that's never going to work. What could you possibly add to improve on what Christ has done? All he's asked you to do is acknowledge it and give him thanks and live in the fullness that he's offering you. That's based on his love. That's what it is. Now, that's sometimes just too good a news for most people to get a hold of. There's got to be a catch, but wait. (laughs) No, there's not. Without the fact of resurrection applied to your daily experience, you have no victory over the powers and principalities, even though you do. You don't get to experience the reality of it when you don't grasp what was accomplished in the resurrection. You're like many who go around, well, we got to have another prayer event. We got to have another worship event. 
We got to pull the powers and principalities down over our city. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. All that's saying is Jesus didn't do it. That's what that's saying. What would happen if believers actually started walking around like it's been done? Maybe you're second guessing about what you should engage in when the Holy Spirit stirs you would go out the window. And you just say, yes, Lord. I can do that. You're taking care of everything. Of course I can do that. Instead of saying, well, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not prayed up yet. Prayed up? Prayed up? See, the whole instant in season and out season goes out the window when you don't have this understanding. Because you think you've got to do something to get ready. I want to tell you something. You are always ready. You are always ready. You don't need to get ready. You're already ready. You just got to get to the place you start to believe that you're ready. When I came into the kingdom, nobody told me to go preach. I just did it. And, and if somebody said, well, where did you get trained to preach? I said, what do you mean trained to preach? I didn't know you had to be trained to preach. If I don't speak, I will blow up. If I don't share what's going on on the inside of me, I will explode. My wife will testify to you when she met me. She's, she, I preach to everything. I still do. All these many years later. See, you cannot have the revelation of Christ on the inside of you and the abundant life that he gives and not have something overflowing in your life to such a degree that you're thinking that if I try to damn this thing up, I'm the one that's going to suffer for it. I got to let this out. I don't get up every morning and say, God, here I am. I'm here at 6 a.m., Lord. I'm here reporting right before the throne. You've got to do your part because I'm doing my part. Now let's partner together because, you know, I, I've got my disciplines down. No, I get up every morning and I'm like, well, just thank you for being here, Lord Jesus. I thank you that all throughout this day you're going to reveal things to me and fill up my soul so I have good things to offer other people. That's how I live my life. When I said I was going to do a podcast Monday through Friday, people said, most people do not do that. I said, well, that's what the Holy Spirit told me to do. Apparently, I'm going into an atomic, you know, thing going on here. I'm not getting it out fast enough. And so I got to get it out. And even I thought, wow, every single day. But I, I realized I'm doing like these multiple things on social media every single day. It's just a change of how I approach it. And it's putting a time constraint on, on me having to speak it. Which is a good practice for me. Because I could preach all day, literally. I go somewhere and they're saying, you want, how much you want to preach that? I say, how long does everybody want to stay? We're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus is a vast subject. He's eternal. He's without limit. His power knows no end. We can talk forever about Jesus. Where do you want to go with this? Let's do this. 
When you're full of something, you're full of it. Sad thing is, some of us are full with the wrong thing. People ask Neil Silverberg all the time. He says it to people all the time. He says, I get asked, have you, have you ever heard Tim Ashley preach? He says, I don't know when I have it. He says, I don't think the guy has an off switch. You go to lunch, the dude is preaching. And some people don't know how to deal with me because of that. But that's how God has made me. That's how God has wired me. If you're sitting with me, we're going to do some talking about the truth of Scripture and what it says about Jesus and what that means for your life. And it's my desire is that you would be encouraged until your socks blow off. I remember being on a 24-hour pour, pour for TVA, and I had a young man with me, and he was stuck with me for 24 hours. Six hours in, he says, dude, if you don't shut up, I'm going to explode. I said, I can't shut up. The Holy Spirit keeps stirring me. You need to hear something. Your life is not going to be long. And I prophesied his death to him. That would take place four years later. Exactly the way I prophesied it. And there was an urgency in my spirit that said, if I have to stay up for 36 hours and have you punch me in the face, I am somehow going to get through to you the love of Jesus. My brother will tell you when I came to Christ and he and his wife weren't following God at all, I would even run in and jump in the bed between them. I was living in their trailer. And I would run in, my eyes filled with tears. And he'd say, what's wrong with you? I said, you have got to come to church. You've got to know Jesus. I mean, demons were visiting the trailer every night. Poltergeist. And he would come and get me and say, can you do something, man? I can't sleep. I'd say, but you're the head of the house. You've got to come to Jesus. I believe God's wanting to put that back into his church again. Such a yearning for those that don't know this truth and are not able to live in the liberty that it gives. Look, the kingdom of God is joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That's yours and mine to partake of every single day of our lives. What a glorious gift this is. And it's our gift because of the resurrection. So I better wind this up. I've gone from preaching to meddling. Your, your victory over the enemy is not something you achieve through spiritual disciplines each day. As important as that is, okay, and can be for your soul, that's not the way it's achieved. It's something that you already possess in Christ Jesus. Based on the fact that you were buried with him in baptism, raised with him in newness of life, when he was raised from the dead. And now you're seated with him in heavenly places. You are literally heaven walking around in shoes every day. Just like Jesus was. 
His triumph over the enemy is now credited to you because you too were raised when he was raised. This is what resurrection applied can do for you daily when you walk in the revelation of it. Resurrection applied is the key to your victory over a lying enemy that is out to steal your joy. Can we pray? What a great encouragement from the Lord. Hello again. We want to invite you to subscribe to this ministry. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at our website, www harvestchurchknoxville.com Click on the connect button and leave us a message. We'll respond to you just as soon as we can. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Harvest Church. Our request is that you pray for us and also pray about financially supporting this ministry so it can continue to go out. No gift is too small. If you have a local church, Please don't neglect it in your giving whenever giving to this ministry. There's three easy ways to give and all our giving options are secure. Your first option is at our website, again, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Give button and follow the steps. Your second option is via text. Send a text to 865 3664993 with the amount that you wish to give in the message section. Your third option is via snail mail. Send it to Harvest Church, 6720 Kern Road, that's K-E-R-N, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37918. If you are in the Knoxville, Tennessee area and you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be with us. We'd love to see you. Again, thank you for listening. Our prayer for you is that you grow in your knowledge of Christ Jesus and experience great increase of grace and peace. Remember, Jesus really loves you.